When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into Poke the Bear, episode 137. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. That is Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Connor, what is up? Evan, I'm doing well. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. I must say, though, Thursday night, we're recording this Friday, Thursday night uncharacteristic performance from your Boston Bruins. My goodness, up after two periods, lost the game, lost at home in regulation, had a big lead, three unanswered. They did have a goal taken off the board. I think it's time. Tank for Bedard. That's it. Season's over. Done. Season's over. It's over. It was a great run. Connor, it was a really great one while, run while it lasted. But it, it will end now. Um, it's interesting. I, you know, I saw some people freaking out, but I think most people are fairly realistic. Like, Connor, it's crazy, but sometimes in an 82-game season, you might lose a few games in regulation. You have to live with that, right? Yeah, it's one of those things where maybe just because the fact that dropping a game in regulation is so foreign to the Bruins this year that I think it opens the door for more people to freak freak out and again like the Brits did not play a very good game but one uh Oilers are not a bad team yes they are mostly Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl that that is for sure but they are still a team that off of that talent alone plus the fact they have bolstered up some areas of their depth um they're probably gonna be right in the thick of it in the west um that could be a team that could just go on a heater and go all the way um so it's not like you lost to that Arizona Coyotes or something like that. People look at that game that was such a one-off and be like, ah, we don't care. Like that, you know, that happens. But like you could say the same thing with his Oilers team and this game where a lot of it was self-inflicted. Yes, like it's frustrating for the Bruins if you hold Connor Connor McDavid to zero points. I think only the seventh time. That man has, I looked up a stat too. That man has more four-point games this season, nine, than he has games where he's been held off the score sheet. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> that's insane. So again, I think that's probably what makes it worse. It'd be one thing if they were, the Bruins were lackadaisical and not really committed offensively, and you know just made things easy, and just Drysaddle and David just torched them. They lose like six three or something. That that happens. That one, it's almost like it, it's like the Joker of the Dark Knight, where he's like, it's not part of the plan. Like if you lose, to, if McDavid like burns you, that's part of the plan. When it's like McLeod and these other guys scoring goals against you, or it's like 
Bergeron having a D zone lapse or a four on one goal, then people start freaking out. And it's like, all right, again, everybody loses their minds. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's, it's, they have nine regulation losses. It's fine. Do they play a good game? Certainly not. It actually helps out the fact that I don't think anyone even watched the game because it was it was tough to find the stadium. <laughs> That's right. So, it was so not on. Also, it was not on cable television. Yeah. So that also helps in that regard. But yeah, I mean, some things you want to tighten up. I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit later in terms of the one issue that has been that has popped up at times is not being assertive enough offensively. Way too much passing. It's not like you're up against a guy like Vasilevsky or Shosturkin where it's like, all right, maybe you are trying to tee up the perfect chance to get a pass and he doesn't live too many of those chances. It's Stuart Skinner. Get pucks on net. You will get a couple of those goals. Not that great, especially Ooh. that Marchand one, right? Ooh. So that, that, first so shot of the game goal. too. Oilers Oilers had them pinned in their own zone for like two minutes. Boom, right yeah, in. That that is, you know, that is a goalie and that is the overall defense in a roster that you just pepper that net and the chances are going to be there for you. So lesson learned there. Again, not going to put too much weight on Bergeron and, and his miscue because it doesn't happen all that often. But uh, again, yeah, it's a frustrating loss. You would love to capitalize against a good team like the Oilers, especially when you are able to bottle up McDavid. But such is life. That's hockey, right? It happens. I will say, though, my biggest take when I talked about this in the postgame show I did last night with uh, John Zanis that, 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 we, were, that we did, um, I was really impressed with how they boxed up McDavid. Again, to do that to Connor McDavid – uh, you know, and again, the three players who are against McDavid the most, Orloff, Lindholm, McAvoy, three potential number one. I mean, McAvoy is a number one defenseman, elite, you know, top of the league defenseman. Lindholm has played himself into being a number one defenseman. Orloff is a borderline number one, number two defenseman. Uh, but still, the fact that you have three defensemen who can roll out there and consistently shut down a guy like McDavid, to me, is very impressive. And it show again, it just kind of harps on the depth, the depth this team has. And you saw it again Thursday night, right? You know, Orloff that hit on Drysidle, um, where he just kind of, you know, bounces, Drysidle bounces off of him and like flies away. Um, but again, I just, I look at, you know, how they have those three guys and the impact. Again, you know, the chances you play the Oilers in the playoffs are very small. I mean, again, unless it's in the cup final, obviously, uh, they have to get through the West, which again, as you said, could happen. I mean, the West is weird. That's what the W in West stands for this year. It's weird, Connor. I thought it was Wumbo. But... Big brain, big brain stuff. Um, but again, the fact that you can shut down a player like that and use any three of those guys, I think says a lot about your defense. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's something that, again, I think McDavid's in his own class, but let's face it, whoever you're going to play throughout, whether it's the East or the West, it's Matthews, Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, uh, Panarin, Kane, you know, uh, even Carolina with guys like Aho, Sveshnikov. There's going to be a lot of, you know, matchup-based things that you're going to have to focus on over a seven-game series. And as you said, it's not like the Bruins in years past where it's like, all right, we have the Bergeron line. We can negate them that way. It's Montgomery has so many different ways you can kind of augment his lineup, whether it's the Bergeron line with McVoy and Orlov. Like Lindholm and Carlo have been a very good shutdown pair in their own right. Now you add in Orlov and what he brings, like whatever. And you're not even looking at like Thomas Nosek and how good he's been. Charlie Coyle has been very, very good as a defensive center uh, so far this season and a little bit of a different role for him. So as much as you look at the depth and how loaded this team is across the board and how much damage they can do on the offensive uh, end of things, uh, they have an abundance of options Montgomery has in terms of just defensive matchups and how, again, 
It doesn't have to be just Bergeron now. Like you could have Bergeron and get a lot of ozone stats, still have enough personnel that can bottle up. Maybe not a guy like McDavid, but you can account for one of Tampa's top two lines or the Matthews line or what have you. Like you have options now to kind of take away the other team's best player without sacrificing the offensive capabilities on the other end of the ice for your team. Which is huge, which again, I just think is is incredibly important. You talk about depth though. Some news coming on Taylor Hall. Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe reported uh, earlier on uh, Friday that uh, Taylor Hall is expected to begin practicing Monday and likely will return to action upon the conclusion of the Bruins' upcoming five-game road trip that kicks off Sunday afternoon in Detroit. Paul, who was in the press box Thursday night for uh, the Bruins' 3-2 loss, said he was relieved that his injury wasn't more serious and is eager to get back to work Monday. A source close to Hall noted that the initial plan will be for the 31-year-old left winger to play in back-to-back games. Uh, that's pretty big. Now, Montgomery said something on Friday to the effect of, you know, they want him back for the playoffs, if, I, if yeah. memory serves, right? So interesting thing going on here, but I think the moral is Hall will be back at some point this year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think right now you're looking at either the the gamesmanship or what have you in terms of whether this guy's going to be back or not, um, but it does seem like regardless of, of what the timetable is, the Bruins do expect him back at some point. Again, I don't think he's going to be 100%. This is, this is absolutely going to be one of those ones where when the playoffs end, whether it's in June or earlier, when we do our breakup day with the team, he's going to have something gnarly going on that he's fighting through. So a testament to him that he's going to be playing through it. Again, seems like the second opinion that he got on his lower body injury was promising in terms of being able to play through it, which is good. Um, but yeah, it's going to be something he's going to be fighting through. And it is curious to see how they do map out this timeline. Like, It'd be great if he's back before the season ends in terms of, you know, getting back in the lineup, getting hopefully some of that rust off and, again, kind of figuring out how you want your lines to work. Because, again, we, we've mentioned it. Tyler Bertuzzi is a very good contingency plan. If, if you have a third line that's Coyle, Hall, and Bertuzzi together, or whoever knows what the, the different matchups are. Like, I believe during Friday's practice, I think Bertuzzi was skating with Krejci and Pasternak. So they can do whatever they want with, with their, you know, middle six, and you're going to have a pretty good – grouping out there but to have hall back at some point um you know depending on whatever his effectiveness is and how healthy he is is still a huge plus for this team and it is curious to see just how they do map out the recovery timeline because you also have to factor in the cap as well like he comes back and i do think you need to clear out i think like one and a half two million so i don't know if that means you put felino in ltir and keep him out till at least the playoffs i know i believe he has a a longer recovery timeline that they're not ruling him out but if he is back i imagine it's probably a little bit later in the playoffs is what probably the, the gauge is right now if he does come back. Um, so a lot up in the air, but it does seem like at the very least, it's not like it's the the usual gamesmanship of like, oh, he's hurt, but we're not going to rule him out because we don't want to like let it be known that he's out of the equation. You know, it does seem like they are hoping that Paul will be back at some point. Now, how effective he is remains to be seen. Yeah, I don't think they need to rush him back. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. We said this about Marshand earlier in the year, right? There's no reason to rush him back into action. I know obviously you want to kind of develop, he wants to develop chemistry with a Tyler Bertuzzi potentially on that third line, but you're fine. You're fine. I mean, we're assuming that March is going to be a month of some guys definitely getting some rest. Um, I think Taylor Hall should be among that. Um, Now, again, five game road trip. That's not, you know, that won't wrap up until end ish of March, which is crazy. Time flies, Connor. It's crazy. Time is just time. Time's just flying. Connor. It's crazy. Um, but I mean, it, it again, it just goes back to, as you said, if you can roll out a third line in the playoffs of Bertuzzi, Coyle, Hall, 
that's a second line on most teams. That's borderline a first line um, on some teams. So again, I just go back to uh, they clearly don't need to rush him back and, you know, thrust him into action, um, especially if it's, you know, something that's with his legs or things like that. And I'm curious to see if it impacts his skating at all. Yeah, that's that's a big watch. Have to imagine. I have to imagine. Yeah, again, I don't think this is something that is going to be magically healed. He's going to be fighting through some stuff. So how much of that trademark speed of his gets impacted? Uh, I I think it's safe to assume there's going to be a a little. He's not going to be the same tail hall that we saw, especially early on this year when he was such a matchup nightmare in that third line. But still getting him back to the lineup is still a win for this Bruins team ahead of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, again, just back to the matchups, right? I mean, the playoffs, that's really what it comes down to, and to have that line that you can put up against anybody else. Now, again, the interesting thing, though, is that Coyle, as you said, has been a defensive center all year. Um, you know, with Bertuzzi and Hall, do you want that to be more of a, you know, ozone start line? Interesting thing. I don't know. You know, again, the second line kind of is always in the ozone <laughs> with, the, with the with the with the trading chances of Zaka, uh, Krejci, and Pasternak, but it'll be interesting to to see what happens. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, one thing we've been monitoring with the Bruins the past uh, two weeks, really since the deadline, is these defensive rotations. Each guy kind of getting the night off here and there. Not really a healthy scratch, but kind of a healthy scratch. Kind of try some things out. Grizzlick, Forbert, Clifton, uh, Carlo getting, you know, a little bit of time there. Um what have we learned, Connor? What have you learned from this? Are there big takeaways yet? Is it too early? I know a lot of people are getting on Matt Grizzlick. A lot on that post game yeah. show. I said a lot of the comments were anti Grizzlick, and I know you know it's it's almost like he's becoming the most polarizing player on the Bruins when he's when he really shouldn't be. But yeah. what, what have we learned? It, it is tough, right? I mean, uh, the one easy thing to glean from is that I think Orlov is right in that mix with you know. Before Montgomery started these defensive rotations, he mentioned that Lindholm and McAvoy were going to be exempt from it. Like, obviously. I think you put Orlov in that mix, too. That guy is not starting <laughs> out of the lineup. And I also think I, – I know Carlo missed one game. I would put him, I think, in the safe category, too. I think they uh, did miss a little bit of what he brings. And, again, he can be a polarizing figure, but I do think people are not catching on, but I think people are realizing I think Carlo's having a pretty strong season. Like, again – you will get prone to those D zone lapses, um, which happens when you're a guy that barely has any ozone reps. But I think Carlos has been very solid, especially when he's with a guy like Lindholm. So I wouldn't mess with that. But after that, it, it's tough because um, you can point to Grizzly being out there and the one loss they have and that being a determinant. Or again, he, he blows a tire and it leads to that four on one goal, which I think is more just shit luck as opposed to like an indictment on him. But again, doesn't help the the greater narrative um, that I think Grizzlick is kind of fighting against, but it's tough, right? Like every one of those guys, you see what they bring and you see uh, instances where they're not in the lineup and, and you look at how they could impact it, right? Like Clifton, you'd be like, well, that game was kind of a slog. That's a game where you maybe missed a guy like Clifton with a big hit or like Felino or someone like that. You look at like Fulbert, who probably has the weakest five on five numbers. I don't think that's like a, even like a debate, like five on five, I think he is the weak link, but look at how he was during that one uh, power play against McDavid. And you're like, 
I see why he's out there. And again, you <laughs> see the same with like Grizzly at times when it comes to like the transition play. Like I, I don't think Grizzly's probably playing his best hockey right now, like over the last couple of weeks, which is not really hurt, like helping his case, right? Um, but it's tough, right? Like it, it's almost like you want to say that Grizzly should be in the lineup, but also it, it's tough because it's not like guys are also playing themselves out of contention either, right? It's it does seem like it's still up in the air. It could very well just end up as much as is a narrative that we look at for the, the playoff stat. It could very much be a situation that it's going to be a straight up rotation going through it. It's going to be based on what the matchups are. And if a guy has a bad game three, he's not on there for game four. And they add in a guy like Grizzly like a fullbird and see what it brings. Like, again, I don't think there's like a weak link amongst these seven guys. They're all very good players. They all would be starting on pretty much every other team. This already <laughs> record setting team didn't add a guy like Orlov. So, um, again, have we learned much? Uh, I think the one that we learned is one Orla is very good, and the whole rest of this B court is still very good, and it's still I don't think a clear cut, even now, uh, a verdict in terms of who's going to be the odd man out because each one of them has such different skill sets, what they bring, what their flaws are, that it's not like I think it's gotten any easier for Montgomery. I think over the last couple of weeks, I just feel like it's matchups based, and you said it. Like I just to me, it comes down to who you're playing in the playoffs because there's no. I mean, again, you know, do. Do Grizzlick and Forbert become a pair? I mean, they're both lefties. I don't know if that's really ideal for, you know, a long stretch of time. But again, you know, they all offer something different. And I know, like, obviously everyone got on Grizzlick for the four-on-one goal against Edmonton on Thursday. That stuff happens. Like, that, he just blew a tire. Like, that that happens. He's arguably the best skater on the team. Like, I, that stuff is going to happen here and there. Um but again, you know, and, and you mentioned even, like, a guy like Forbert, you know, a team that has a really good power play in the playoffs. Maybe you... Use you put him in the lineup kind of basically for that. Um, so again, I, I don't, it's, it's a little early to kind of say definitively where they're at. Um, I mean, it, and it's tough to even predict what they'll end up doing. Like, it's not yeah. like, oh, this is going to be the set six. Um, and as you said, Orloff has been outstanding. I mean, offensively, he's been the numbers have been sick, but you just look at the defensive play, transition play, the pass, like, it just, he's good <laughs> he is freaking good and again i don't you know one th- topic that we'll have this off season is you know can they re-sign him you know is he can they afford him with the cap next year i don't know he's playing himself into good money he's he's bolstering that uh that profile for sure so i don't really know what the deal with orloff is in the contract but uh, we'll see what ends up happening uh, looking a little far ahead connor we're gonna get negative here for a second Whoop. Get negative. We yes. haven't done that much this year, but we're going to get a little negative. Um, and it's a question that people are wondering. And we talk about Grizzlick and Carlo and different things like that. You know, Taylor Hall. Um, aside from injuries, what could derail this Bruins run? Like, wh- out of everything, what could be the thing that kind of Breaks up yeah. the, the great run they're on. Yeah, I think that's. I'll look at it more internally because I think if you look at matchups and like Carolina and like how they how they play them, that's an obvious one. I think internally, it probably is the one thing that I think has popped up a couple of times, even when they've either won games or when they've been in the very few lows they've had is uh, shot selection, and it's one thing where I think they've really benefited this year from Montgomery's emphasis. I think on quality over quantity, but. They are also prone at times to either overpassing or settling for that perfect opportunity. Like, which again, I think, especially when you get to the playoffs, those are few and far between. If you did like, I think a highlight reel of probably like the 2019 cup run and how many goals they have, not a lot of them are very pretty. 
they're either like either like breakdowns, it scrambles in front of the net, it screens, it's rebounds, it's all that stuff. And that's going to be uh, happening all the time. You you rarely see like as much as I think people look at like the 2011 run and like Martian's shorthanded goal against Luongo, which is like one of the best goals ever. Those don't happen that often. Like that is no. a lot of them are, are <laughs> a lot of them aren't really pretty, right? In terms of how they're scored. So um, I think making sure you you avoid that mindset of, of being super selective of waiting for, you know, this shouldn't be a team that has, you know, yeah, 15 high danger chances off of 19 shots. Like still, if you can get 27, 28 shots and, and generate uh, a couple good looks along the way, um, I think that's one thing you have to sort out. Again, it's something I think is an in-moment thing. Um, but when you look at the playoffs and who you're breaking have to topple, especially if you're looking at a Vasilevsky, a, a Shesterkin, or anyone like that, even like Freddie Anderson, how he's played since he's gotten to Carolina, um, you can't be, you know, waiting for those per- perfect opportunities. You got to, you know, get down low, get those grade-A chances, and pepper the net, which I think is just, again, not like a major flaw, not something that's been a recurring issue, but when this team is kind of out of sorts, it is something that team that tends to kind of prop back up a little bit. Charlie Coyle passed on two shots last uh, Thursday yeah, that night was that bad. were just brutal. There was one in front of the net that it was like you had a clear shot from a high danger area. And I get what he was trying to do. He was trying to pass Tyler Bertuzzi, who would have one-timed it. But it's like, dude, you have that open shot. You're like, you know, a couple feet from the net. Just let it rip. Like, <laughs> just shoot the puck. Um, I'm going to do an unpopular one. And it's not, I, I don't think it's going to be, and I'm not even saying this is going to happen. I'm saying that if this does happen, it will derail things. Um, I don't even think it's, you know, faulty play from Grizzlick or Clifton. I don't think it is depth up front. I think you have that. We've hit on this a little bit this year. Lena Solmark has never played this much. It's something to think about, right? It's something that is in the back of your mind. He's on an incredible run, but does it? end in the playoffs you know does the workload just become too much now you have jeremy swayman there who's been terrific this year but linus olmark has been otherworldly i mean linus olmark should win the vesna he's in the heart conversation right like you need him now he's been their best player you could argue he's been their mvp um this season but if he falters right there's not like you know patrice bergeron brad marsh and david poshnock they've been there before right and this isn't even linus olmark's fault he just has not been to the playoffs before right. uh, for a long stretch of time right um now again you you had last year when he was he was okay he wasn't amazing against carolina didn't steal any games um but the, you know again if they are if that run is to be derailed you know or actually excuse me if he does not play up to the level he has this year, it could very well derail uh, this run. Now, they have Swayman as an insurance policy there, which is a pretty damn good insurance policy. I don't know, Connor. I think Blina Solmark isn't himself in the playoffs. You're, that spells a little bit of trouble because that, that wouldn't help things. That really would not it, help it, things. It, it would not be great, Evan. Uh, you'd like your, your goal with you playing at a high level. But yeah, no, I, I do think that is not something that is off of just fear-mongering or what have you. It's someone, a goalie that's been very good for this team, but you also, again, playoffs can be a different animal. You need to see how he does when he gets to that next level. So, um, no, that is, that is definitely a good one that, again, until you get to the playoffs, you don't know for sure. So, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. And this episode is, again, brought to you by our exclusive wagering partner at the CLNS Media Network, FanDuel. Sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. Uh, Connor, before you go, what can people look forward to from you over at boston.com? 
yeah, we're going to have you covered again every step of the way this Bruin season with game reports, breakdowns, columns, features, all that good stuff throughout this run. Um, so please uh, follow over at boston.com. Again, not just for Bruins. We cover everything that's happening in Boston sports. So Patriots, Celtics, Red Sox, all that good stuff over at boston.com. So please read over there. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Do all that. And remember to subscribe to New England Hockey Journal. That is Connor Ryan. I am Evan Marinovsky. You poke the bear listeners. Have an amazing rest of your week. <laughs>